In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. 1 Chronicles 29:11. Do we acknowledge that God is the owner of all that we have? Who's sitting on who is sitting on the throne of our hearts? Are we bound by something earthly when we should be looking to heaven? One of our daughters was put was put out that this verse meant nothing was really hers. She asked how we knew that that was what it meant. I explained about theologians and scholars, and she was irritated that she couldn't read the Bible and interpret it the way she wanted to. She's young and has a lot to learn. Woe to those who insist on interpreting the words of God without scholarship and wisdom. All our wealth, whether it's little or great, belongs to God, our creator. As we enter the holiday season, let's be mindful that the Lord is exalted as head over all, and we must give thanks and praise to his glorious name. Good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNenny. Well, the week's been up and down with the temperatures. I began wearing woolies and now I'm in shorts again. Rain is forecast. The wind is dumping all the leaves into my pool. Talking of my pool, Malia took great delight in telling me via text that my cowboy gardener had taken the hedge clippers to my gloriously overgrown, very English park-looking oleander. I must admit, I can now see the fence and more of the trees in the back field, which are in the midst of showing off their stunning ability to turn to russet and gold before falling without a splash into my pool. And with the clocks going back a couple of weeks ago, I commented the other day to my lovely hubby that now we seem to have a lot of extra time on our hands in the evenings. Have you noticed that? I keep looking at the clock and it's only 520 My clever cowboy said it's because it's getting dark so early, and he's right. It's supposed to be 8.30 when the sun finally drops, not 5.30. We plan to use the extra time to submit our writing projects and look for quiet cabins in the woodlands and mountains like Mora. But then I suppose we'll get used to the time change as we always do and stop rejoicing in the extra evening hours. Last week, Malia and I visited College Station. She went from not having any idea about what she wanted to do or where she wanted to go to telling me that A&M was her choice of college and let's go and look at it now, which we did. I drove all but the last five miles. I kept losing the road in the end. Monovision contacts do that to me. And there was an absence of lampposts to light my way through the fields and dark night. 
I ceded the wheel to my eager 18-year-old halfway through Brian. She'd spent the entire journey talking to me. Good girl. Sorting photos on her laptop. They were funny and a little distracting, so I had her cease that activity. And talking by text to a variety of boys who wanted to know where she was at that very moment. She went out with one of them in College Station after she and I had had a yummy Italian meal together and I was safely ensconced back in the hotel room with my blog and a Milky Way. She was understandably overwhelmed by the amount of information tossed at her the following day as we toured the dance and kinesiology departments in the bowels of Reed Building underneath the bleachers of Kyle Field. On the way home, she was so excited, and again I drove all the way to the accompaniment of happy chatter about how beautiful the clouds looked with the setting sun, how excited she was to become the second Aggie in her family, and boys. She crashed at home for a good 12-hour sleep and awoke to the reality of what she had heard and seen. The guilt had worn off somewhat as she remembered the gloomy dance studios and compared the department with her affluent and chipper atmosphere at Collin College. So now we're looking at SMU and TCU, both of which also offer dance and some sort of physiology or science of movement with a dance major. Whew, she's a whirlwind when she gets going. And have you looked into the prices of colleges lately? One of them, actually, both of the ones that I mentioned, are upward of $42,000 a year. How do young people pay for their education? That's a rhetorical question, actually, because a lot of times parents have to do it. I've told Malia she needs a scholarship or to find somewhere cheaper. So we'll see. And this week, in my book excerpt, I'm going to be reminiscing about the constant companion I had during the early years of my growing up before my brother and I were separated to go to boarding school. Vincent and I loved to play together, not because he was my sole sibling and the only choice I had, but because although we played alongside each other, we were able to modify our acting out to suit our immediate emotional needs. His war games involved too much strategy and history for me, but I enjoyed helping him paint his little soldiers, if daubing green or red on the trousers and jackets could be considered painting. On Saturday mornings, we blazed the Wild West Trail as pioneers. I collected the pots and pans from the kitchen. He rigged the wagon, our large playroom table, with blankets from the beds. We were a childless couple. I'd abandoned my babies along the way, who spent their journey faithfully adhering to the accepted role models of the day. He'd shoot Indians lustily and bravely, sustaining superficial wounds that would be tended to quickly by his wife between strokes of my hairbrush as I languished in front of a cracked mirror, quaffing my locks, which were long, courtesy of the doll sheets draped over my severe boy cut. We befriended an Indian couple who closely resembled the pioneer couple when we felt a need of change of our chuck wagon scenery and we cooked under the stars around the campfire in front of the wigwam. We were invariably called to lunch in the saloon downstairs just as we were striking camp, dousing the fire and embarking on a healthy bout of sibling rivalry. Yes, brawls abounded, and the universal labelling of stinky boys and crybaby girls was alive and well in London's Wild West. As a change of pace and to get us out of the house, my parents gave us money to go to the local swimming baths each Saturday afternoon. I know this sounds as though we were going out to have a bath, but that's what the local swimming pool was called. We'd walk separately along the high street, pretending that we were members of Fagin's gang from Oliver Twist, a much-loved book and West End musical. 
This gave us ample opportunity to practice our skills at becoming invisible, which we'd employ on the range at a later date. We'd end by racing the last stretch and arrive breathless at the turnstile that allowed us access to the water. Chlorine, steam, stone bleachers, swim caps, cold showers and whistles are the images that spring to mind when I recall these Saturday appointments with water. We dived, jumped and swam for an hour, never making friends, never talking to anyone. It was as if we were on a top secret mission that we had to accomplish without revealing our true identities in order to claim our reward on the way home. A chocolate bar. We were too conscientious to even think of disobeying our parents. We swam as we said we were going to and we used the given money to buy a chocolate bar on the way home. Besides, each of us was a spy willing to turn the other into agent number one, our father, if one of us dared suggest we deviate from the expected behaviour. The remainder of Saturday was spent in going to confession, a dreaded event that can never be fully appreciated by a non-Catholic. It was a mortal sin to go to communion on Sunday without the absolution of sins on Saturday. So my brother and I were again thrust upon each other's company and walked our way along to the confessional on Saturday afternoons. The fear factor here was larger than ourselves or our parents. It involved God and his intervention, which we had no desire to test. The church was always empty except for the few waiting to confess. I think adults must get better as they get older because the number of people was never more than a fraction of the attendees at mass and communion the following morning. Children sin a lot, according to their parents, I suppose. We went every week. The church was also quiet and smelled of wood polish and candle wax. The lights were never on. We'd wait in the pew for our turn and shuffle along, filling each empty space as the sinners went to cleanse their souls. When it was my turn, I'd whisper in fear that my brother would overhear me, which was a distinct possibility since our kneeling form was visible from the waist down and our upper body was concealed by a heavy curtain. Inside, I would cross myself and the little grill between the priest and I would scrape open. I couldn't see him clearly, but from his voice, I usually recognised him. He sat facing out with an ear attuned to my whispered sins. Bless me, Father, for I've sinned. It's been a week since my last confession. I'd continue with my memorised litany of wrongs, whether I was guilty that week or not. I reckoned I may as well be forgiven for all possible transgressions. For these and any other sins which I cannot now remember, I am truly sorry. This was the priest's cue to give a little lecture and administer my penance and bid me pray for him as I left, greatly relieved and eager to rush through my Our Fathers and Hail Marys so that I could get on with another week. Once sprung from church, my brother and I would link arms and skip together for, oh, maybe half a street length, exuberant and happy to have survived the ordeal. The week stretched long and marvellously clear from the oppression of the confessional. Our souls were clean. We had another chance to go through the week sin-free. That all dissipated after a few streets when we began to get out of our skipping rhythm and one of us would invariably snap at the other. Then we were back to normal, darn, irrepressible sinners. On Sunday morning when we came home after Mass, we would reenact the Eucharistic liturgy. During our game... Vincent always defaulted as the priest, I as one of the congregation, we would act out all of our worries about what would happen if we did accidentally take communion with a sin on our soul. Our playroom would rock, would rock with the hail and brimstone rained down upon us by the wrath of God. Of course, the game always degenerated into violence of some sort. After all, 
there was a boy involved. Vincent would splutter on the wine, splattering the sacred blood of Christ all over the room, turning it into the abandoned site of an Indian massacre, or I'd choke on the host and vomit pieces of Christ's body out of the bedroom window to the drain below. All this play-acting, although not very original, must have saved us piles of gold in psychologist fees and allowed my parents the peace and quiet to do whatever it was they did at the weekends without their two children underfoot. And now I'm getting ready to go on a short break. And um, when we come back, I have a guest, Sandy Fowler, who is going to tell us how to make holidays stress-free. And I'm sure all of you will want to find out how to do that, especially with Christmas just around the corner. So I'll be back in a few minutes. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Innovation and insight, problems and solutions, capitalizing on your ideas and efforts. That's all a part of Changing the World One Invention at a Time with Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 Central on toginet.com. Rick will be sharing stories of innovation, invention, inspiration, and overcoming obstacles with guests who have been there, done that, and are doing that. Rick will be asking the right questions, helping you identify the real problems, and showing you how to act on your ideas by increasing consumer confidence, and more importantly, increasing your confidence to act on your ideas. For even more information, go to thinktech, that's T-E-K, globally.com. Then join us as Rick and his guest teaches how to develop new ideas and create new products, new businesses, new jobs. And together, let's get our economy growing again. It's changing the world one invention at a time with author and inventor Rick Rowe. Thursday evenings at 6, 5 Central on toginet.com. People think I've made it. I'm popular. I seem happy all the time. I have great clothes and I'm involved in everything. But I have questions, doubts, and fears, just like every other teenager. That's why I'm glad for Teen Talk Radio, where it's all about choices. Join us for Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell, Thursday nights at 10, 9 Central on toginet.com. The choices we have to make that can alter the course of our lives. Life is too much pressure if we try to go it alone. I tune in to Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell every Every week to get reminded that I'm not alone. Nicole O'Dell is an expert on what happens in the lives of teenagers. Join her as she deals with topics like peer pressure, purity, drugs, alcohol, and many other things that might come up along the way. She writes books and speaks to people all over the place, but she says her favorite moments are when she can pull up a chair and chat with teens about what's important to us. For more information on Nicole and her books, go to NicoleO'Dell.com. Then join us for Teen Talk Radio with Nicole O'Dell. Thursday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Teen Talk Radio, where it's all about choices. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. 
my guest this week is Sandy Fowler, wife, mom, and business owner who's done it all from working for a Fortune 500 company, living overseas, homeschooling her kids, and leading volunteer organizations, to being a stay-at-home mom and starting her own businesses. Sandy is also the creator of the Heartfield Holiday Project, and today she's going to teach us how to design a stress-free holiday that will warm our hearts and feed our spirit. Welcome, Sandy. Well, thank you, Vivian. I'm really excited to be here with you today. Well, good, because we're really excited to hear what you have to say, because, you know, the holidays are literally just around the corner. And last week I went, I don't know. They always seem to creep up on me, although I know full well when they are. It just kind of happens really fast. I think in America with Thanksgiving first, it kind of speeds it up a bit because we don't have to bother with Thanksgiving in England. So all of a sudden, Thanksgiving's upon us and we're here. Uh, It does. It kind of kicks things off. (laughs) I know. I know. Well, before we get into that, Sandy, um, tell me a little bit how you started on your homeschooling path. Our homeschooling experience. Well, that started... Oh, goodness, that's years ago now because my girls are teens, and we started when they were six and eight. They'd gone to a wonderful school that we loved in the area. It was a, a local private school, and they'd gone through kindergarten for my youngest and my oldest through second. Mm-hmm. And that was when we decided to bring them home and start homeschooling. Mm-hmm. Uh, people frequently ask us why and I always ask them in return, well, would you like the politically correct answer or the truth? (laughs) Let's hear the truth. (laughs) Okay. Well, the truth is we just knew that's what we were supposed to do. Uh Without knowing exactly why, we just knew we were very excited about it. Uh I can go back and rationalize it, and I can give you all the reasons it was wonderful. I could even do that then. I could give you a litany of reasons that we thought this was a good idea, but the real truth is that when my husband and I sat down and talked about it, we just had the feeling that this is what we were meant to be doing. So we did. And, and did you have? Do you have? Did you have people around you who are homeschooling? Not people we knew. No. Uh-huh. I. I. Well, I shouldn't say that. There were people we knew of, but no one we were friends with or close mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. There were many people who had left the school we were at due to tuition hikes. Mm-hmm. Many of them had chosen to homeschool to, it was a faith-based school, and they wanted to keep that mm-hmm. that tradition with their children. They wanted to make sure that they were being educated in the way that they wanted. So mm-hmm. they did that, but that wasn't, wasn't our reasoning, not that the tuition wasn't starting to become a bit strenuous, yeah. uh-huh. but that was not our really our impetus for doing it. And we had other good schools in the area. We had good public schools. We had a lot of choices if we were just looking for another venue for educating the kids mm-hmm. but it really wasn't that it, it was just this feeling and a large part of what appealed to me in this was more of what I would call the lifestyle of homeschooling just mm-hmm. the the freedom to live your life in a way that suits your family best I know Vivian you have all sorts of homeschoolers on your show, people who are traveling or, you know, doing mm-hmm. things differently than the other people in their community. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things that really appealed to me about homeschooling is that mm-hmm. you can be true to your family and what you feel is important, your priorities, what you're called to do. Mm-hmm. So I love that. And I homeschooled the girls the first year myself and 
went through all of the ups and downs and the questions and the trials and tribulations, mm-hmm. but overall really loved the experience and started in on the second year and had some things happening and changing with my husband's work and my, again, getting back to these feelings I was experiencing, a feeling that there was something else I was supposed to be doing. And uh, long story short, he ended up quitting his job, and we decided that he would at least take a leave of absence and help out with the homeschooling, and I was going to start a business. Mm-hmm. So we tag-teamed for a while during the second year, and eventually he ended up taking it over. And the third year it was he was taking it over, and I was going to do certain pieces of it. Mm-hmm. And... Oh, goodness, let's see. They started when they were going into kindergarten. Or they just finished kindergarten second. So third and first, and we homeschooled them through sixth and eighth. Mm-hmm. And we've moved to a new area, and when looking around, again, we can go with the truth or we can go with the politically correct, since you asked for the truth uh-huh. before. The truth, again, was just this feeling that it was time for them to be in a different situation. Mm-hmm. And so they're actually in our local public schools, This is their second year there. Mm -hmm. But my husband did the last several years of the homeschooling while I worked on my businesses. So even within the homeschooling community, we had a little different situation than most of the people we've met through that Mm -hmm. experience. Mm-hmm. I think that's marvelous when the father takes an active um, role in homeschooling. I try to get some dads on and, and have them talk about it, and it's just wonderful what they can bring to the table, you know. It is, and what was it was a wonderful experience for our girls, and I'm glad that it worked out that way because doing it together didn't work very well for our family for various reasons. We we did pieces of it together, but when I was homeschooling and wanted him to do portions and when he was doing it and wanted me to do portions, it just wasn't as effective as one parent running it. And he he did a beautiful job, and especially having two girls, it was priceless time with their dad, time that so many people don't get. So we treasure that, and we realize the value of it, and we're very grateful for it. And even though I wasn't actively in the homeschooling, I was working from home. So it was it was great in that I still was able to be part of it, just in a less structured way. Mm-hmm. The kids so, could pop in and work with me on a, a writing assignment or come in and get my feedback on something rather than me being in charge of a portion of their mm-hmm. school day. So when you moved, you... Um Sent, did you send your girls straight into school, or was there a little transition from homeschool to school? No, we did not send them to school right away. It was not in our plan at the time. We mm-hmm. continued to homeschool the first year that we were out here. Oh, okay. And then, like I said, it just got those niggly feelings again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Time to go talk to some people. And, and just I'm sure you've had the experience where you start noticing things that you didn't notice before. Yeah. And hearing comments and that all accumulate together, and you start going, "Okay, there's a message here. I'm yeah. listening. You don't have to hit me with a two by four yet." Yeah, yeah. And the girls have adapted or adjusted back into the um, public schools. Okay. Yes, they yeah. absolutely love it. Okay. They do not enjoy the time that it takes mm-hmm. because, of course, there's the entire school day and then the homework on top of that. Yeah. And they were used to being more in control of 
their day and their time. But aside from that aspect, they've really enjoyed getting back into the school system. We're very fortunate. They've enjoyed they have three very different schooling experiences, and we never had disagreement or fight from them on any of them. They've enjoyed every experience, and they were part of that decision to go back in. And this was not a parental unilateral decision. It was a discussion, and while at the end of the day, we all know mom and dad are in charge, and my husband and I would have made whatever decision we thought was right along the way in talking with the girls, they both came up and said, I want to go to the public school. Mm-hmm. So that made it a lot easier. The The first month was extremely difficult for my younger daughter just because she is the personality type who likes to know what's going to happen. She wants to know what to expect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And being in a completely different situation and with her, you know, six different teachers and yeah. new challenges, new people. And we are talking about a girl going into a junior high setting, which I was very worried about, but was thrilled with the the results um, and the way that the kids have treated these newcomers coming in. Because we're in a smaller town than we mm-hmm. were, too. So most of the children have grown up together and known each other for years. And so socially, that was the thing that concerned me a little bit. And was just watching out for, but haven't had any problems with it all. So we've been very fortunate that way. And it was interesting because, like everything with, that we do as homeschoolers, and, and we've carried our mindset, although the girls are back in the school system, my husband and I found that we still have the mindset of homeschoolers. Mm-hmm. And we treat their schooling experience rather differently than many of the parents around us. And that first month, that was so difficult for her, and she had also chosen to join the orchestra program, which she was technically, quote-unquote, a year behind because these other kids had all started in sixth grade Mm -hmm. if they weren't taking lessons younger than that. And when she started, that was so seventh grade, she had this transition to go through. When she started eighth grade, I noticed her doing more new things, taking more chances, Mm -hmm. and in talking with her, Essentially, it got down to that she saw that she could handle it, that it wasn't always easy to go through a transition and it wasn't always pleasant. But she knew that she could do it and she knew that it was worthwhile because orchestra has become a love of hers. So that was really great just as a mom. It was just so great to see that experience and to see that growth in my daughter. Right, Sandy, we've got two minutes before we go on our first break. So I really do want to get into um, the um, heart of the matter, which is your heartfelt holiday business. And um, I, I want, first off, just tell me what led you to create um, Heartfield Holidays. Well, that was another one of those situations where, let's see, you said two minutes, right? So I need the short version. <laughs> okay. A minute now. All okay, right, that's minute. fine. We can carry on back, but I just wanted to get started. Okay, well, really two pieces to it. One is that, again, goes back to that niggly feeling. The last about three years as we came around to late fall and the holidays were looming, I was getting this sense of needing to do something about sharing my story. And when we come back, I'll tell a little bit about what my holiday story is, which starts to share ideas with your listeners. But I just got the feeling that I needed to start sharing that. And last year I had a reporter from the Detroit Free Press contact me to talk to me about what our family does. And at that point my business partner 
gave me a kick in the rear and said, you need to start a family blog. You need to start telling the world what you guys are doing and sharing these ideas with other people so they can have what you've got. Well, good. We need to go on a short break now. So um, join me after this. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Dix of Beatles and Beyond. You're listening to George Harrison jamming in the background here as I'm preparing the next show for you. So why don't you listen to Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix on this radio station? Get ready for the Not-So-Soccer Mom Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on Toginet with Jill Hickey. You name it, from politics to pop culture to Jill's search for the perfect bronzer and chicken salad. The Not-So-Soccer Mom will weigh in on it all. The sentence, I have no opinion about that, is one that Jill has never uttered. Everybody in the early 90s, Jill finally decided to put her thoughts, opinions, mom advice, love of pop culture, hummus, and Starbucks, working out, cosmetic shopping, and politics into an actual website, and thus NotSoSoccerMom.com was born. Shortly after her fourth child, a boy, Jerome, now she's really got tons of topics to share with you. This is Laugh Out Loud Funny, and we're not kidding. What's a loud Nebraska girl who lived in Little Rock for many years and now is up in the Northeast doing? Chronicling her opinions on everything. The wheels aren't off yet, but it's close. It's the Not-So-Soccer Mom with Jill Hickey. Tuesday afternoons at 1 Eastern, noon Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. The show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Okay, Sandy, um, tell us about your Hartfield holidays and some tips for homeschoolers who want to enjoy their holidays without all the stress. Okay, well, going back to the first part of that, my family's Hartfield holidays when I was growing up, I absolutely adored Christmas, had a wonderful time getting ready for it and celebrating it. We had all kinds of extended family celebrations. So, of course, when I grew up, moved out on my own, got married, I just naturally continued everything I had done. But then also, of course, tried to incorporate everything my husband did and all of his family gatherings. And I have a very large extended family. We did a lot. And now on top of that, we were running across state. So we were trying to be in two places in the same day and spending time with both sides of the family, plus your shopping, everything else just escalates. And I did that in the second year that I was married. I remember standing at the top of the stairs and just losing it and just ranting. And my poor husband's at the bottom just looking at me, having no idea what's going on because I let all this stress build. So obviously at that point... In my second year of marriage here, I was not living heartfelt holidays. And that was just that first nudge to go, something has to change. Mm -hmm. Being me, being someone who 
likes to have a plan and have some organization about things. I just went, you need to be better organized. So I did do that, and for a few years that worked. And even the first couple years we had the kids, I guess that was still kind of working, but I'm sure you've had this, Vivian, you noticed once you have your children, your perspective shifts. Mm-hmm. And everything you do it takes on a little different meaning, and you're looking for that meaning in the things you're doing. And so when the girls were toddlers, I was, again, looking around and going, we need to change something here. This is ridiculous. I'm, I'm spending all this time shopping, not enjoying it. The kids are opening all these gifts. I'm not even enjoying seeing them open them because all I can think is where I'm going to put all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so my husband and I sat down and we talked and I presented an idea to him and bless his soul, he went with it. And my idea was that the four of us would now make our presents for each other. Yes. Instead of buying something, we would make our gifts. And I thought at the time that this was just something little I was doing to solve something that was bothering me. And, and that's one of my tips for homeschoolers and for any family is if there's something that bo- that's bothering you about the holidays, look at it. And be willing to change it and do something differently. At that moment, I was just trying something new. And I'm envisioning the kids will paint some pictures and I'll make up some little coupons for my hubby. You know, okay, you can, I'll mow the lawn once for you and mm-hmm. I'll give you a back rub and I'll bake your favorite cookies and whatever. And he can have those little coupons. And well, let me tell you, it's his, I think this is our 11th year now mm-hmm. of doing it. And it's been the biggest change for us in our holiday season, and it's very counterintuitive because you would think, oh, my goodness, now we have to spend all this time figuring out how to make what we're going to make and how to make things, and that's going to add more stress. But it didn't because we shifted our perspective. And that goes back to what I was just saying is if you're finding that you're unhappy with the holiday season, there are really going to be two parts to it. One part is this logistics and how much am I doing in time management and organization and the surface things, which dealing with those will help de-stress your holidays. And I do talk about those things, and I help people through those things. And the biggest change can come from shifting your perspective on things. And that is what this one decision did is it started to shift our perspective not just on the gifts we gave each other, but it was the beginning of a shift on our perspective about the entire holiday season. And just we started to look at what are we doing? How are we spending our time? What does this mean? How does this match up with our priorities? And every year It's a little bit different. From the outside looking in, I don't think most people would say that they see a huge difference in our holidays other than this making gifts for each other and some of the people that maybe we used to exchange gifts with and now we choose to do something else with them. No one on the outside looking in would see huge monumental changes in what we're doing. But if you looked at our holidays then and you were watching us and the expressions on our faces, which are going to reflect the way that we're feeling and what we're experiencing, it's night and day. Mm-hmm. Well, I was, I, I've read a book recently called Boundaries by Cloud and Townsend. Have you ever read that? 
No, I haven't. And it's setting boundaries. I mean, there are, there are you know, and they talk so much about how so many people do things because they feel they're expected to do it. They're being pressured into doing it. They've always done it that way. So, you know, they daren't change because they're going to upset other people. And, you know, and um, they encourage you to stop doing that, you know, to not be in bondage constantly to doing something that you really don't have the heart for, don't feel that that's really part of you. And a lot of people are frightened of doing that, Sandy, I know. And, um, you know, to you and me, it's just kind of, let's just switch perspective. Let's just shift, you know, sort of the way we, we look at things. And it's not easy for a lot of people because, I mean, you've got a massive family. You know, you said you've got this extended family as well and um, expectations from all of them too. Um, how how would you encourage people to, I suppose, take one step at a time, but what's one of the things that you would um, say or a story that you would um, tell from your viewpoint of one major thing that you had to, you know, sort of give up in order to save your sanity? I'm over here just chuckling, Vivian, because you were talking about how difficult this can be. And this year we've had some other changes in our life that have made our holiday season busier than ever. And so I sat back because I see these things coming ahead of time. And one of the things that I've learned as far as getting rid of stress is deal with it as soon as you can. The sooner that you deal with something, the less stress you have to experience. And one of the things I had to deal with this year is that we are not going to be attending my grandmother's Christmas party, which is, again, a large extended family function that I've attended every year of my life and my family has attended every year. So what I did is since we will see those people at Thanksgiving, I got very proactive and mailed out Christmas cards to the family members who would be coming to Thanksgiving with a little note inside that says, we know that this Christmas card is coming early, but we're celebrating our holidays with you early this year. We'll be thrilled to give you season's greetings and wish you a Merry Christmas when we see you at Thanksgiving because we won't be at Bubba's Christmas party. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, I was I was stressed out about it. Mm-hmm. I had a very hard time doing it. And the minute that I dropped those letters in the mailbox and, of course, opened the door and checked to make sure they went down <laughs> and they closed <laughs> the whole door again, I just had this huge weight lift off my shoulders. Mm-hmm. Now, for me, because I've been doing these types of things for so long and I have learned through both our holidays and my business ventures, this idea of get rid of the stress by doing it quickly. One of the things I recommend for other people is you have to have somebody in your corner who will support you, whether that is your spouse or a friend or even um, if any other group. If there's a, a mom's group you belong to or I run holiday circles just for that reason so that people have a place they can go where their decisions are supported and where they can get a little accountability because they can say, well, we know that we have to make this change or we know we need to have a conversation with my mother about the way we're handling Christmas. And I'm just terrified to do it. Mm -hmm. Okay, if you have a support group, they're going to be supportive and help you be accountable to yourself a little bit too. All right, well, what's your plan? What do you want to do? 
And then the next time you meet up or you get on the phone with them, okay, how did it go? And and that little bit of extra help makes Mm -hmm. all the difference in the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All the difference. Absolutely. Um, I'm interested to hear, have you had a response yet? No, I have not. And I honestly don't expect one until we get to Thanksgiving Day. And fortunately for me, part of my support group is my husband. Mm -hmm. He and I, and we talk about it. And we just looked at it. And I did tell my mother over the phone Mm -hmm. and let her know. And I said, you know, even if, because I have another potential obligation, and I said, even if I don't have that obligation, if something happens and we would be technically able to attend from a time standpoint, mm-hmm. said it's not in our best interest to go. Mm-hmm. Said I can keep pushing myself, and and again, technically, can I do it? Yes, I can handle a lot on my plate. I can if I choose to, but I also know what happens on the flip side of that. Just like the you know, if I don't take care of it, I'm going to be stressed and stressed. Well, mm-hmm. if I do all these extra things that are on my plate. If I write the big long to-do list of everything everybody expects me to do for Christmas, while I might technically be able to get it done, what does that do to me Mm -hmm. in the end? And what does that do to my family? And what is that really saying about our holidays? Mm -hmm. This is the point of Christmas, because we're talking about Christmas today. The point of Christmas is love and giving. Well, you're not going to be a very loving, giving person if every waking moment you are just trying to run through a to-do list. And especially if you're teaching your children, and I know a lot of homeschoolers take the month off, but whether you take that month off or not, you're teaching your children because you're either working on school or you're working on life skills Mm -hmm. and seeing how to handle this time of year and how to look at what's most important to you and support those priorities in your life, that's what your children are learning from you. Well, if you're just crabby and you're being rude to the clerk, or not even rude, but even just short Mm -hmm. with the clerk in the store or your children or your family, that's not the point of the holiday, nor is it the point of the holiday for you to get to December 25th and just sprawl out on the couch in total exhaustion and then be sick for the next week. Well, but you got everything you, on the to-do list done. <laughs> well, plus you said that you took your family traditions into your marriage with you. So imagine if you've added so much more, how much more your girls are going to have to take away from the home and into their marriages too. So this is um, really, really good advice, Sandy. And I'm afraid we have come to the end of our time. So um, thank you so much um, for joining me. Um, Sandy Fowler has a company called The Heartfield Holidays. You can actually find her online just by typing in The Heartfield Holidays. She'll come up. I hope you've enjoyed listening to our conversation about how you can have the holiday you want filled with fun and meaning without the stress that usually comes at this time of the year. And um, thank you so much, Sandy, for sharing your wisdom with us. And you have a great weekend and a wonderful holiday season. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Get ready to laugh along with This Little Parent Stayed Home with Ali Lopreet. 
Friday evenings at 6, 5 central on Togenet.com. This is a truly realistic, no-nonsense, tell-it-like-it-is method that will have you laughing and crying, surviving while struggling, and hammering away at the hardships as you travel through the greatest journey of your life. Get empowered by joining thousands of other parents who have also decided to take a leap of faith into a double career with longer hours and half the pay simply because of the love they have for their children. Together, we are rebuilding a new economy that will support us rather than enslave us. Never again will we have to choose between raising our children and earning to provide for them. It won't be easy, but it will be worth it. For more on Allie and her success, check out her website, OurMilkMoney.com. So come get empowered with This Little Parent Stayed Home with Allie Lopri. Friday afternoons at 6, 5 Central on Toginet.com. It's time to get your boots on with the Boot Campaign with hosts Megan Roth and Bailey Gray. Thursdays at noon, 1 Central on Toginet.com. Sponsored by Austin Bank. The whole point of the Boot Campaign is to continue the true grassroots initiative developed by a group of patriotic women known as the Boot Girls. Inspired by the true story of Marcus Luttrell, the lone survivor, the Boot Girls got started with celebrities but want every American to get your boots on by purchasing a pair of the Give Back Combat Boots. The campaign's motto is simple. When they come back, we give back. For more on the Boot Campaign, go to the website, bootcampaign.com. The Boot Campaign Get Your Boots On Show will feature discussions on current events impacting the lives of active duty and retired military, interviews with our nation's war heroes, medical professionals, and celebrities who have put their boots on. Do your part and join us for the Boot Campaign Get Your Boots On Show with Megan Roth and Baby Gray, Thursdays at noon, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, I'm back, and I hope that um, you can embark (laughs) or take the first step in um, cutting out all of that extra stuff that you do for the holidays just because you feel that you have to and start doing um, some things that have more meaning um, to your family. Um, With the holidays coming up and lots of new movies out, families will look to the cinema as a place to wind down and take their children when the weather gets bad or cabin fever hits. I, for one, still enjoy going to the dollar movie. We don't go to full-price movies for most films, and so the dollar movie is a good place. Even for the six of us, it only costs around $12. So that's pretty good. Um, we could do Netflix or use the local video store, but quite honestly, watching the TV tends to put me to sleep, unless it's an excellent film, which most of them aren't. So I like the feel of the theatre, and I usually stay awake. Harry Potter is the constant exception to that rule. Don't ask me why. Within the hour, I've zonked out, and I love the books. Oh, well. I was checking Fandango the other day because we wanted to go see a movie, and um, all I could find at our favourite cinema, 10, were the horror movies left over from Halloween. But there were a lot of PG-13s, and even at the full-price movies, most of the films were in this category. So I clicked on a few to see what they were about and the reason for the rating. And excuse me now while I hike up my skirt and get onto my soapbox. When I first set foot on these sunny shores, I was surprised that parents could take their children to a movie at any age. 
not so in the not-so-sunny Isles of Britain, who have maintained an adherence to ratings that put the American cinemas to shame. There are age ratings where children under a certain age are not allowed in the theatre, period. There are films where no one under 12 can go unless the 12 is followed by the letter A, which denotes that an adult is required for admittance. There are films where no one under the age of 15 can go and ones where no one under the age of 18 can venture. And no A's are ever added onto these categories. I tried going to see something like Batman with my 12-year-old daughter once and my 8-year-old nephew was not allowed in with us. Obviously, we didn't go to see the film that day. That would never happen here. So as I was reading the PG ratings out loud to my husband, we looked at each other and shook our heads. Based on these reasons for the ratings on what should be an entertaining and safe film, we didn't find one movie we wanted to go and see. There was violence, drug material, drug content, drug use, language, sexuality, sexual material, sexual situations, partial nudity, mature thematic content, intense sequences of violence and action, and so it went on and on and on. And, you know, the silly thing is, most of the films would be excellent without some of this sexuality and language and drug content because the stories at times are good. I watched a film during one of our school breaks some years ago. Everyone else in my house had already seen it. It was PG-13 and I presumed it was safe since all my children were 13 or over. Aren't they supposed to be viewable by the whole family? No language, no sex, no violence? Well, perhaps I should insert the word overt after the word no to bring these films' ratings in line with my thinking. Of course, as a homeschooler, my use of the word safe and its meaning is subjective. I allowed myself to be lulled into a false sense of security, one that let my trust in others' values determine the safety level of films for my teenage children. My mistaken belief is that the people who live next door to me, go to church with me and educate their children with me, all share the same definition of safe. And in turn, that definition is shared by the Motion Picture Ratings Board. Wrong! I find many parents share my feelings, so who's advising the Ratings Board and... Why am I trusting them to do my vetting for me? The film I watched on the strong recommendation of my family left me in tears, not because of the storyline, but because I'd unwittingly allowed my children, both boys and girls, to be exposed to just another ploy by whomever to slowly change the public opinion on fidelity and morality, gently brainwashing us into pursuing the sanctity of the marriage bed, the respect found in waiting, the strength discovered in saying no. As we're taught to say no to drugs. Oh, but of course, silly me, the film industry doesn't care about that either, since a lot of the films we looked at had drugs in them. So my oldest son, who at 19 was a self-appointed gatekeeper of his siblings' minds, assured me that there was nothing wrong with the film. For him, it turns out, if there's no graphic fleshpot type of behaviour, overt, as I said earlier, then the illusion through actions and words is innocuous. My husband thought it was cute because it showed idyllic views of England, lascivious scenes of California, and was a sweet story about two women who switch homes for Christmas. The morals aren't sweet. The American couple are living together. He's having an extra capital affair, and his girlfriend has decided she has no time for sex if she wants to make her career work. In England, the ex-boyfriend is emotionally abusing his ex-girlfriend by feeding her false hopes about the relationship she's pathetically hanging on to. So the two women do a house swap for a change of culture and scenery, and the morals on both sides of the pond plummet. 
Now, I know why I don't watch this kind of drivel, but obviously my children think it has value. As a strong supporter of listening to young people's views, I tried to discover what this value was. First port of call was my son, the oldest and wisest. I opened with, I hated that film. It should never have been rated PG-13. should have been an R. To which he answered, you did? Why? There was absolutely nothing wrong with it. Brainwashed. He saw nothing wrong with the film. When I reminded him about the cohabitation and affairs, he said, oh, well, yes, that. We all know that's wrong. Well, do they, I wondered. And who decided that 13 was old enough to watch this kind of behaviour on the big screen without falling into the trap of emulation? And do all 13-year-olds know the behaviour on the screen is wrong? Then I asked my oldest girl, all of 15, and she said, it was predictable, Mum, all those films are. I know that's not how real life happens. When pressed as to why she insisted on watching all of these films that are just the same, she grinned and said, the actors are cute. Okay, enough value right there. My youngest was more forthright. She said, I love those movies. I want my life to be just like that. Just like what, I asked, wondering if she meant like the American or the English. Just like the American who ended up in England. I want to end up in England. Living with the first man who falls across your doorstep, I asked. She giggled. Well, if he looks like that, then yes. She blinked her eyelids before saying, just joking, Mum, the film is a film. I love England and the accents. Enough. The end. I'm off my soapbox now, but you know what I mean, I hope. I advise you to exercise extreme caution when allowing PG-13s into your house. Even a family discussion afterwards doesn't erase the images their innocent minds have been exposed to. As Paul encourages, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is loving, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Philippians 4, 8 through 9. Well, now it's time to for the question of the week. I'm here to solve your problems and help you with your challenges at any stage in your homeschooling career. So here goes nothing. Hard on the heels of Sandy's suggestions for holiday contentment, this week's question is... Because we're at home all the time with our children, how do I differentiate between holiday and vacation time and school days? This sounds like an obvious question, really. And was was it posed by a detractor or a real homeschooler? I've heard people who are not homeschoolers ask me, well, since you're always together and never go to school, how do you really appreciate time off and make it different? The glib answer is just put away the school books and voila, holidays. It didn't quite work like that in our house. Yes, we put away the books, but after lunch, I really need to be able to let the children feel the difference between being in school and being on a break. I suppose the trick for me was we had a rigid schedule to start with, and so we could loosen up on it when we took a week off or decided to take the whole of December off because Dad was travelling and there was just too much to do for one parent with Christmas just around the corner. Sleeping later is a start. That was mostly fun for me. The children still got up early, but they could play. And then they were allowed to sit at the breakfast table in their pyjamas. In fact, for the first few days of the holiday, casual attire was strongly encouraged. It seemed to change the feel of the one-room schoolhouse. My children were allowed to watch their favourite television show, be it Sesame Street or Thomas the Tank Engine, in the morning. In the afternoons, if they agreed on a film, they were allowed to watch a film while resting too. This really was a major difference in their lives and one they looked forward to immensely since they were not allowed to watch any sort of television or movies until Friday evenings when they stayed up a little later to watch something that they had chosen together. 
Um, another thing I would do, fun art objects. My tongue is getting all twisted up. I would do fun art projects or whatever it is that you don't have time to do on a regular basis. And I'm not talking about science here. Our favorite activity in our house was painting T-shirts. And um, during December, we spent the month custom painting our Christmas cards, making favorite treats to give away, decorating the house for Advent and then Christmas during other breaks, we'd go to the cinema or eat out once a week or do a drive through for a treat, visit malls, go shopping, listen to seasonal music. Sometimes our holidays would coincide with a trip to England where we'd completely change our lifestyle right down to the type of food we ate and the people we mixed with. In this situation, it was easy to differentiate between school and break. In general, we stopped watching the clock so closely when we were on holiday. We'd change mealtimes. Sometimes I'd transfer family videos onto DVD. This is always a great activity and one I think I'm going to do this weekend. During long breaks, we would try to continue with the math and Latin a couple of times a week, but we made sure it only took an hour out of a fun-filled day of free play among the siblings. Well, good luck with differentiating between school time and break time. My main suggestion, though, is to make sure your breaks are full of things you don't usually do when school's in session. This may mean cutting out certain things while school is in session, like TV and movies, popcorn and computer games, so that they become special treats on your breaks. I hope these simple pointers will work. If any of you have any suggestions or a question for the week, email me at UK. 84 at gmail.com or leave me a message on my Toggin page. And I have come to the end of another show for another week. I've had a great time talking to you this week. You have a wonderful Thanksgiving and um, weekend. I have actually nothing planned. That's unusual. And as I said, I might start converting family video onto DVD, which will keep the house filled with childish laughter, just right for empty nesters in training. Thanks to my handsome husband, who believes in love at first sight, our four children, who are the result of that belief, the hardworking staff at Togginet Radio, my guest, Sandy Fowler and her great ideas, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Hannah and St. John's. And um, have a great week, and I'll see you next week. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Toginet. 